I think becoming a mother-in-law is probably one of the most challenging things that a woman has to experience who has raised her child, her son, poured her life into his heart, into him, and then all of a sudden, she's not in charge of him anymore. Probably that happens way before marriage, but after marriage, there is a whole totally different relationship. And sometimes those relationships can be the source of great conflict and pain rather than joy. And so today, I'm talking with Annie Chapman. My name is Sharon Betters, and Annie Chapman has written a book called The Mother-in-Law Dance. And the subtitle is, Can Two Women Love the Same Man and Still Get Along? So I'm sure I've captured your attention right away. This is a Help and Hope podcast created by Mark Inc. Ministries. And if you visit markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, you're going to find lots and lots of free resources designed to help turn your heart toward Jesus and to give you help and hope, especially in hurting places. So Annie, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to talk to you today. And before we jump into our topic, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, it's delightful to be with you, Sharon, and I'm glad to be able to share on your website. I've been a wife for 45 years, and I've been a mother-in-law for 20 years. And I have two children, six grandchildren, and my husband and I have traveled all over the country and some parts of the world sharing a music ministry directed towards encouraging families with the message of Jesus being the center of our home and him being able to keep our homes together. We started out strictly with music, and then through the years, in 1988, we published our first book many books later. And then uh, my husband particularly has an affinity for outdoorsmen, hunters in particular, and fishermen. And he's written many books where our publisher's Harvest House. That's what we do. We, we talk about the family and the idea of addressing the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship, I regard as the most fragile of all family and human relationships. I've seen it where 30 years of solid relationship can be undone with one word or one eye roll. It's a tedious tango, the mother-in-law dance. I love that. I I love that analogy. And as I was thinking about our conversation, uh, of course, one of the first things I think about is mother-in-law jokes are easy to find, easy to tell, easy to find. And the mother-in-law is always the brunt of the joke. Why do you think that is? Well, there are a lot of mother-in-law jokes about sons-in-law, but you'll notice no one jokes about a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law because that is no joking matter. And it kind of starts off in kind of a sad way. I know when my son was getting married, the old adage was the mother of the groom was to wear beige and keep quiet. And the mother of the bride got to wear her beautiful royal blue and all the bright colors. And so from the very beginning, it seems like the mother of the son was kind of told to stay in your place. And of course, that's very difficult to do when you adore your son and you spent your entire life nurturing and protecting and loving and correcting and being a part of him, you know, such a, an intricate part of his life. You'll notice in the football games, whenever the team wins, the MVP always says, hello, mom. <laughs> they always address their mom. I think that's so funny. They don't ever say, hey, dad. They always say, hey, mom. And so there's that relationship. And then all of a sudden, when this other woman that uh, the mother didn't get to choose, the son chose, and then 
puts the two together and all of a sudden they're supposed to uh, live in harmony with each other, it's not as easy as it seems. Well, you know that from personal experience. So why don't you tell me about your relationship with your mother-in-law? I have a wonderful mother-in-law and she brags to all her friends that we have never had a crossword between us. And I said, that's right, we haven't. (laughs) And there's a very good reason we haven't. It's because both of us bite our tongue. Both of us have been very uh, careful about what we say. And so through the years, of course, there's always been conflicts or, you know, little things that come up. Uh, That's just normal in 45 years. But uh, somehow we've maintained a respect for each other and we've been able to love each other and none more than now. She's 91. She had a terrible fall last spring and her life changed and all of our lives have changed. And so I kind of co-helped take care of her with my sister-in-law. I do things for my mother-in-law I never dreamed. I would ever have to do, and she never dreamed that I would ever have to do for her. So I look back and I think of all those years that we built that relationship and we chose to be kind to one another and we chose to keep our words sweet. Now, at this time of her life, it's, it's such a good foundation and she knows I love her and I do. She's really sweet. Now, when I went to write this book, I assured my mother-in-law and I assured my daughter-in-law that I would not use them as examples. I would not use our stories in a personal way because it goes right back to that very idea, how fragile this really is. You might be able to tell tales or jokes about your daughter. You can't do that about your mother-in-law and your daughter-in-law and expect to have a good relationship. And so because of that, I've been extremely careful. And to write the books, the mother-in-law book, I surveyed other mothers-in-law and other daughters-in-law. For Since we travel, I was able to do this for two and a half years. I had written surveys and written questionnaires that I used all across the country, and they would be anonymous. I would kind of know what area of the country the replies came from because I knew when I would gather them, I would kind of indicate the state or the city. And then I had someone do data processing and put those things together. So I was very careful not to use my mother-in-law and my daughter-in-law as any kind of punchline or embarrassing story. But I was able to find enough (laughs) with other people. Your book is filled with really practical application of the principles that you talk about, the stories that mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law tell, the things that hurt them, the things that help them. Why do you think it's so hard for mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws, some of them, to get along? Well, I think it's, it's because of who's in the middle of them. You know, the subtitle, can two women love the same man and still get along? That is a mouthful. And, and my answer is yes, but not without a lot of effort on both parts and not without a lot of conscious decisions to not make mountains out of molehills and to show grace and mercy on both, on both parts, on both parts. I have a friend of mine who has a difficult time. And she, uh, she's always my uh, go-to for stories and all. And, and one day she, 
she said about her daughter-in-law. She said, I'm going to call her up and I'm going to say this and I'm going to do that. And my response to her is the same every time she does it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to be sorry. You're going to start something that cannot be finished in a happy way. You're going to put your son in a bad situation. And I say shame on any mother who makes her son choose between her and his wife and shame on any son who does not choose his wife. And that's not easy to say since I am the mom and I would like for my son to always choose me, except I know that scripturally he is mandated to, uh, as I say, Sonny is to leave mummy and cleave to honey. And uh, that, in, that in a nutshell kind of puts it all in perspective. So if I want to be a part of my son's life, I have to be respectful of that. You know, the picture of Christ and the bride is not of a mother and a child. It's the picture of a husband and a wife. And so even though the mother-child relationship is, you know, very important, it is not the sacrament that marriage is that husband and wife are. And so, you know, I just, I have to keep that in mind. And, and that's what I teach that as, as important as a mom and, and son's relationship is, it's not the prime relationship. So there's a quote in your book, you say the same qualities that make a terrific mother to small children are often the exact qualities that make for a terrible mother-in-law. Why, why do you say that? Well, because when you think about your relationship with your children and what you do for them, you nurture them, you protect them, you teach them, you correct them, you love them in, in supremely. Well, that makes you a good mother to a small child. But apply that to an adult child, especially an adult child who is married. You're going to nurture them, correct them, protect them. All those things, the mommy faucet has to be turned off at a certain point. And when that child is an adult, you have to step back and and let them be an adult. And I I know it's hard. There's a a picture. I don't even know if I used it in this book, but I've used it and used it in another and it was a picture that I saw as a child growing up on a farm. I was raised in West Virginia on a dairy farm. And one day I was up in the hayloft and I found a nest of eggs. A, chick, a chicken had come, a old hen had gone up and laid a nest of eggs that we usually use, you know, to cook with and eat. But she had hidden them and she wanted those to be her little chicks. And so I was up in the hayloft and I was watching and I found the nest as the little baby chicks were beginning to peck out of the shell. And I sat there and watched with just absolute fascination as those little beaks started coming out of that soft shell and they were going to hatch. In my childish compassion, I realized what a struggle it was for those little chickens to shed themselves of that shell. And so I began to very very easily and gently peel the shell away for them to make it easier for the little chick to rid itself of the shell. And to my horror, I watched as every little chick that I had helped died. And what I didn't realize, it was the struggle to free themselves from the shell that gave them the stamina to live. 
And when my children were being raised and I would watch the kids struggle, and especially when my son was out on his own and, and I would be worried, does he have money to pay his rent? And, and I would pray. And one day I said, oh, Lord, I just want to give him some money and then I won't have to worry about his rent. And, and uh, you know, I'm just going to give him a lump sum and let him just manage it. And I felt that voice of the Lord, you know, that God whisper saying, do you want him to trust you? Or do you want him to trust me? And I wept because I wanted to do it because I was going to feel more comfortable, not about him. And so I, I likened that to looking at our adult children with their own families and how much I would like to fix and peel the difficult areas away. And yet my kindness would kill them. And we have to back off. I want my son to love his wife more than he loves me. I want him to love me, but I really do want him to love his wife supremely and and establish his own family. Well, what you're describing is a big transition. And in your book, The Mother-in-Law Dance, you talk about somebody has to take the lead in when you're dancing. So who should take the lead in this relationship and what does it look like? Well, I I say the, the mother has to take, or the mother-in-law has to take the lead. And what it looks like is she takes the lead by backing off and letting her son and his wife have their own life. My children live here in town, and yet I don't expect them to come here for Sunday lunch every week. I, I really do give them a lot of freedom like that. When it comes time for Thanksgiving, I don't expect them to eat three or four turkeys. I I tell them, because Thanksgiving is the big day for my daughter-in-law's family. And that's the day everybody gets together. Christmas is ours. Thanksgiving is theirs. And for so many years, my son tried to work it where he could come here maybe on a Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, they could go. And then Thursday, I said, no, 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 no. Because my daughter would be at her in-laws for Thanksgiving out of state. And so that I said, no. No, you do not have to come here and eat turkey. You're going to have a Thanksgiving dinner. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine. And so I just tried to give my children the freedom to not worry about me and to not worry about appeasing my need for them to come here for Thanksgiving. And that's just one example. But yeah, I mean, you have to just grow up. You have to not be a baby and not demand from your children. And that is a gift that we give them as a mother that we do love them. And the gift that we can give them is the freedom to not have to always worry about our feelings and appease us. Well, you you kind of covered a, a little bit of it, but you have interviewed uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of women, daughters-in-law, mothers-in-law. Was there a recurring theme in the responses of daughter-in-laws about things that their mothers-in-law had done that built walls rather than a bridge? I think when the mother-in-law tried to interject herself into the personal decisions, one daughter-in-law said, my mother-in-law tells us where to go to church. She tells us where we can go on vacation. She tells us what to do with our money. The resentment that builds and, and what is the son? I, I think the problem, whenever there's a conflict like that, I go back to the son. Where is he in this discussion? Is he just letting these two women duke it out, you know, between the two of them? 
is he just backing off and letting them have this conflict? He is the prize. He's the one that should step in and make peace. And it might hurt the mother's feelings for him to say, mom, you know, we have to make these decisions on our own. And you did a good job raising me. Can you trust me to do the right thing by my family? And so I think whenever there was uh, an interjection of the mother-in-law into their personal and private decisions, that, that really created some resentment. Criticism is the poison to the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship. And, and I, I hear mothers-in-law say, you know, I wish my daughter-in-law kept a cleaner house. I said, well, yeah, okay, I, I understand that. I think I'm going to mention it to her. There's your mistake. Stay out of it. If your son wants a clean house, let him talk to his wife about that. That is not your place to start telling her how to keep house. I think I'll get her a merry maid for Christmas for three months. Well, if she asks for that, that's fine. But are you just trying to tell her that you disapprove of her? Is that what you're doing? That's not smart. You know, it says that a wise man builds his house. A foolish man tears it down with their own words. I think what we say to our daughters-in-law, you're just going to make trouble and you're making trouble for your son. And if it's all about your son, do you really want to make trouble for him? Well, yeah. And really daughters-in-law have a lot of power. You know, if you start rocking the boat, and this probably doesn't sound like a very godly reason, but you really are going to hurt yourself if you start intruding. Respect is a foundational character quality that a woman, a mother-in-law needs to have for her daughter-in-law and her son. And I also think what you said about the power of words, just a few words, that daughter-in-law really does want her husband's mother to admire her. The power of words, just a few words of, you're doing such a great job with those kids. They're so good. We have no idea. Uh, Actually, I think we do have an idea because we were young mothers at one time. And so we know how important those words. We don't forget those. We won't forget those words. No, we don't. And every time I keep my grandchildren, which all six of them live here in town, I had three last night. I cleaned up so much throw up last night. (laughs) My eight-year-old granddaughter had had way too much ice cream and popcorn at Dee Dee and Papa's house. And I got to clean it up. I could not believe it. But every time I keep my grandkids, which is every week I have Monday, I had my son's three. Last night, I had my daughter's three. And I love that. But every time I have them, I always send a report back. These children were so well behaved. They were so they were so respectful. They obey so well. Thank you for doing such a great job with these kids. And uh, I want all four, my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law and daughter and son, to know how much we do appreciate the way they're raising our kids. Now, I know there's situations where grandparents, their hearts are broken because of how their kids are raised. Boy, that's a different ball of wax, and you'd have to really lightly on that. But I am so grateful, and, and I do verbally affirm them. And when I disapprove of something, I keep it to myself. I I thought about something my my mother-in-law used to do. Uh, They lived out of state. And so when they would come, they'd stay maybe a week at our house. And my mother-in-law was wonderful. She would stand and iron these 
little dresses. You know, remember the little crinolines and and every dress had to be ironed, starched and ironed and everything. She would stand for hours and just do such a beautiful job ironing all those little dresses that I just did not have time to do. And I appreciate it so much. But she would also rearrange all my furniture and she would redo my kitchen and take everything out of the cabinets and put it where she thought it would make more sense. <laughs> and so one day my mother-in-law said, uh, does it bother you when I change your furniture and your kitchen? And I said, no, it doesn't bother me at all because as soon as you leave, I put it right back to where I want it to be. <laughs> I said, except sometimes you really do have better ideas than I do. And if that's the case, I leave it there. But I say, have at it, you know, break your neck, go ahead, change my furniture. Cause I know that's what she loves to do. It's like, she was like Pinterest before there was Pinterest, you know, fixer upper before there was fixer upper. I just always let her have it, let her have fun. And I never took it personally. And I, because I chose not to take it personally. And, you know, I, I look back on it now, 45 years later, and I'm so glad I didn't kick up a fuss about that stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I let her have her way, and then I didn't feel the least bit bad about putting it back if, if I didn't like it. So, And she seemed to accept that, too. What you just described, there are some people listening who are cringing right now because they might have a mother-in-law who comes in and moves one thing and that drives them crazy or might say, well, why are you fixing it like that? Or this is the way we always did things. And they are in a tizzy about it and they, yeah. they fume about it for weeks. What do you attribute your ability to respond the way that you did to your mother-in-law? What you've described is pretty dramatic. I always wanted to honor my in-laws the same way I wanted to honor my parents. And I felt like a good way of loving my husband was to show respect and honor to his parents. And that's not a one-way street. He did that to my parents, too. My parents were farmers in West Virginia. And when they retired, their Social Security was like $235 a month. And nobody could live on that. And my husband, this makes me cry, he wrote them a check every month. Mm. he wrote my mom a check and my dad a check so that they could not, they wouldn't have to worry. And I said, he loves my parents like that. How could I not show respect and love to his parents in the same way? And then when my mom died, my dad said to Steve, I guess your, I guess Sylvia's check will stop. And he said, no. No, it won't. And you know what my dad did with that money? He didn't spend it. He saved it. It was his, it was his little safety net. And when he died, he indicated, there's the money that Steve gave. I want it to be given back to him. And what we did was we gave it to our children. We divided it between them. And one paid for a wedding and one paid, you know, on their college for it. But it's not that he needed it to spend. He needed to feel safe. And so Steve did that for my parents. And so to let his mom rearrange my furniture, that's, that's not a big deal. And now uh, she's a widow and she's so broken. Her body is so broken. 
and I take care of her and I do things for her that has to be done. And she's, I never wanted you to ever do this. And I said, I know you didn't, but it's okay. It's okay. And I don't believe that relationship would be that way if we had spent the last 45 years or last 40 years snipping and snapping and being big babies toward each other. Well, yeah, you have me in tears too. That's an incredible story. Um, what what an example to us and to your family, to your children. It's such, such a beautiful example of Christ's love. And so I think about the woman who is hearing you and thinking, I, I don't know how to be like that. I wish I could. I didn't have a good role model. I didn't have my mother didn't get along with her own mother, let alone her mother-in-law. That's the only thing I ever knew. What you're talking about is so foreign to me. Where do I start? How, how do I change? Is there a way for me to change? Well, I, I can't say that that is something that comes natural. I believe it is allowing Jesus to work in our lives. And when we know how much we've been forgiven, and how much grace God shows to us through Jesus, I guess that's the only answer I can say, you know, that in Christ, all things hold together. He's the one that shows us mercy and grace and forgiveness. And it's because of that, that we can show grace and forgiveness and mercy to others. Um, I don't think in our humanness that the capacity to put self aside comes so easily. But I think when God is working in us and his love is born in us. I have a friend who's in a nursing home, and for for two years, I took their supper to them every Tuesday night, every Tuesday. Now she's in a nursing home, and when I would get their meal ready, I would always say, I get to take Jesus his supper, because in, in Matthew, it said, when people stand before the Lord, and he said, I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was lonely, and you didn't visit me. I was in prison, you know. And, and they said, well, when were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you lonely? And he said, when you've done it, when you didn't do it to the least of these. And so every time I get to do something for somebody and, and I go see my friend that's in the nursing home now, I said, I get to go see Jesus. I'm going to go see Jesus today. And I tell her that. And, and my mother-in-law, she said, oh, you, you can't, you're doing this and that. I said, I just I feel like I get to do this for Jesus. And that makes it all such joy and, and such a good thing. So I think the key is just letting Jesus work in us and letting his love shine through us. And it, it just, it takes away some of the self part that makes us want to lash out at other people. It really is a life of dying to self. I think the making the choices over and over and over again, instead of giving in to our anger or frustration, then we have this opportunity to die to that temptation and to replace it with what you have, have described as the love of Jesus. But how would a woman start if she's never heard this before? Even her girlfriends are encouraging her to despise her, her mother-in-law or the mother-in-law to despise her daughter-in-law. Where, where would a woman in that place begin? Because like you said, it's not something that you can work up. How can she tap into that power that you've talked about where God is, is the one who is doing it through you? I, I just think it's, you know, it's surrendering 
it's it's giving our will over. I have a chapter in the mother-in-law book called Boxer's Dance Too. And it's about being kind to people who are not kind back. You can do this dance. It's always more fun when both want to do it right. But when one doesn't, you can still do it. And I had a friend whose mother-in-law was a real stinker. And she introduced her to her friends as, this is my fat daughter-in-law. <sighs> yeah, yeah. That Okay, that's like the impardonable sin. <laughs> but she said, her, and because she had one daughter-in-law that was very trim, and then she was uh, not as slender. And so she would call her her, um, her fat daughter-in-law. They had two biological children. She had an adopted child. She would say, these are my real grandchildren instead of the adopted child. She was horrible to her son. She said, how did I expect her to be nice to me if she wasn't even nice to her own son? And so she was just, she was just terrible. Now she had been widowed before she had married and had her children. It was, it was a rough life. She didn't have a good home life. She was just a very bitter person. One day, this woman, and she said, I, I did some things. I wanted her to have a relationship with her grandchildren, but it's like she didn't want them in her house because she had white furniture and, you know, these are kids. So she said, I would say, let's meet at McDonald's and let the kids play and we can have lunch there. That way she didn't impose on them to her to make a meal. The kids didn't make her house dirty. And so then she, she said she would uh, send her um, little funny stories in the mail and, and just things that she thought were, you know, humorous, trying to keep things lighthearted. And she made sure she never spoke disrespectfully to her. She tried to always be nice to her, even though her mother-in-law was just a bitter, mean woman. There's just no way to get around it. Well, what happened? And this is a true story. She died unexpectedly. And when they came in to the house, her house was just like she had left it. She had gone outside and she had died. So when they came to the house on the mirror by the, uh, in the bathroom, there were postum notes. Pray for this family member. Pray for that family member. When you went to the sink, she had little notes. Pray for this family member. They did not realize that she prayed for them that she really did love them until they saw her without all of the mask, without all of the facade, without the wall that she had built around herself. And she said, all of those postum notes and messages, she said, I can't tell you how glad I was. I didn't say things I wanted to say. I didn't cut her off from the grandkids. I'm glad I kept reaching out to her. And so it's, it was a one-sided relationship, but the daughter-in-law could end that relationship. And every relationship will end because death or divorce will get us all. She said she could end that relationship with a clear conscience. And so, you know, keeping your distance, keeping your words sweet, keeping your sense of humor, all those things, I think you find a way, you find the strength, and then you realize I don't want someone else's bad behavior to make me a bad person. That's a beautiful story. I mean, that, that's an amazing story. And of course, we don't know that that's always going to happen. But 
when you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you walk in obedience and you keep making choices, even when you don't see any progress, just like this girl, she didn't see any progress, but God was doing something behind the scenes. And you mentioned that the mother-in-law had a really rough home life and she Maybe she knew that she came across that way, but had no clue as to how to change, how to make things better. So what a picture of grace. What a beautiful picture of grace. I told my grandchildren one day, I said, keep in mind, and we've all heard this, everyone you meet is fighting a battle. Everyone you meet. And you don't know, but that smile that you give to the clerk at the checkout at at Walmart or that moment of grace that you give a family member may be the one thing that helps them make through the day. And so I, I you know, and also I, I tried to share this with my friend who is always going to get in trouble because she, she keeps saying, it's not fair. It's not fair that, you know, that the other side of the family always gets the holidays. It's not fair. It's, and she's always going, it's not fair. I said, no, it's not. It's not fair. And our walk with Christ is not fair. And Jesus has called us to be second milers. You know, in the book of Matthew, it says, uh, and, and there's a history behind the idea of being a second miler. There was a Roman law that said a Roman soldier or Roman citizen in Palestine during Jesus' day that they could require a Jewish man or a Jewish boy to carry their load one mile. So say you're going down the road and you meet this uh, Roman soldier or citizen. He could demand by law that that Jewish man or Jewish boy, because they were under occupation, would turn around and walk one mile and carry that, that, uh, that soldier's load. That's what happened with the cross. You remember Simon of Cyrene, they said, they told him, you carry the cross. It was a law. If he had said no, they would have just killed him. So and so this is what Jesus said. If they require you to go one mile, go with them too. Remember that? I do. And how infuriating that was to the Jewish people. But what Jesus knew, and I, I keep telling my friend, no, it's not fair, but we're called to be second milers. That's who we are as a Christ follower. Because Jesus knew the first mile was the law. The second mile was love. The first mile was the burden. The second mile was the blessing. The first mile, you're the slave. The second mile, you're the master. The first mile is required. The second mile is rewarded. And so when we as as mothers-in-law choose to serve and choose to be that second miler and choose to take, not get the Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving day, or don't, you don't get the, the Christmas Eve party, or you don't get the whatever. When we choose to keep giving and keep blessing, and what is the result of being a second miler? You give more than required, and you receive more than is expected. Because God always makes sure everything works out. So we're second milers. And so I keep telling my friend who says, it's not there, it's not there. I know it's not, but... We're called to be second milers, and that's what we are when we follow Christ. Annie, I knew that talking to you was going to be fun, and it was going to be encouraging and convicting, and it has been all of those things, and I'm just so grateful that you were willing to talk with me today and to share such really moving and powerful truths that I know 
are going to touch hearts and maybe heal some relationships or at least start building bridges with those relationships. So thank you so much for um, being part of this conversation. And I'm Sharon Betters, and you have been listening to my conversation with Annie Chapman, who wrote the book, The Mother-in-Law Dance. And just the title I know has to grab your attention. And we've just touched the tip of the iceberg of what she shares in the book. So you can buy the book at any fine bookstore online, but we're going to have a link to it on our website at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. We're also going to have a link to Annie's website. She and her husband, Steve, have a website and we'll have a link to that. And they they do a lot of singing and you might be looking for someone to uh, participate in an event. Give them a listen. It's really a, a beautiful, moving ministry that they have through their music. And so Mark Inc. Ministries' vision is to offer help and hope to hurting people. And that's why we do this podcast. We have many, many redemption stories of people who have experienced life-altering circumstances, some beyond their control, and they often experience them in isolation. And they have shared their stories as a means of offering help and hope to those who live in the same kind of a dark place, but also as a way of equipping those who love them. And Annie, you have done that today. You have equipped us to come alongside of others, but you've also challenged us to look into our own hearts and to cultivate that relationship with Jesus so that we can be those second milers. And I thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Again, this is Mark Inc. And you can go to markinc.org where you're going to find many more resources just like this.